Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Trilogy. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Tuesday, January 16th, 2024, and we've done it. We've survived an entire NFL season. We've gotten through wild card weekend, and we are now set with the divisional round for next week. And the game that is going to be the most interesting, that is causing networks to jump all over themselves at the very thought of the guarantee that either Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes will be in the AFC championship, you've got the third incarnation of Chiefs-Bills. Yesterday, the Bills beat the Steelers, and we're going to talk about that game. But I want to start with a little Mahomes action because the Bills winning means Mahomes and Taylor and Travis and the whole crew is getting on a plane and they're going to Orchard Park. That may seem normal to you, except Patrick Mahomes has never played a road playoff game. I saw that stat, I called Coca immediately because I can't believe that's even possible in his entire career. He's played neutral site games, Super Bowl. Never has he been on the road. And his first experience is going to be in Buffalo, which is perfect because those are the two teams that we wanted to see play each other. You've got Mahomes 2-0 against Josh Allen in the playoffs, beating them the two times they face each other. You've got Josh Allen, who's 3-1 and one in the regular season versus Mahomes, but you know regular season doesn't mean anything. And all I was thinking watching that Bills-Steelers game, other than excited about next week, other than thinking about the snowballs, thinking about the shoveling, I was brought immediately back, Coca, into running a stadium and running a team, getting that ballpark. I, I can't call it that. It's a football stadium. Getting that stadium ready for the game. There was a picture I saw on Twitter at David P. Sampson of the expensive seats, like the club seats, perfectly manicured, and shoveled and beautiful and ready to go. And it was opposed to like the bad upper deck seats, which looked like snow drifts. And I was smiling because that's exactly how decisions are made. So when you know you have to get your stadium ready, let's pretend it's for a snowstorm, let's pretend it's after a hurricane, let's pretend it's general cleaning at the end of a concert, you tell the staff, then Buffalo worked a little differently yesterday. They hired people to shovel, but it doesn't matter who's doing it. Whether you hire regular people to shovel at 20 bucks an hour, whether you bring in the cleaning crew who hires people at $20 an hour, 
there is a meeting that takes place where you prioritize what has to get done, like a timeline. We had an event tonight. We have another event tomorrow night. But by tomorrow at 11 a.m., we have a walkthrough, so we need the following things to be completed. It's like a load in and load out of a concert. It's an organized ballet. And you meet with the executives of the company or the people in charge of your building, and you go through what needs to get done in emergency scenarios like they had at Orchard Park, because no seats were sitable. That's not a word. No seats were ready to have tuchuses. So of course, the priority was get the good seats done. And I understand how in society people say, oh, you're doing more for the rich. You don't care about the poor. Well, all the seats are expensive, so we'll start there. But that's just life. Have you ever noticed when you're going through the quality of food when you go to a club at a ballpark where the best seats are, like behind the dugout or behind the plate versus the concession stands in the outfield or in the upper deck. We always, from a PR standpoint, say, hey, we've got first-class quality grub. No matter where you go, you're going to have a great experience, a great culinary experience. That's like being on an airplane and comparing getting a bag of peanuts in seat 69D versus a three-star Michelin meal in seat 1C. The reason why you get better service, better accommodations, is that we want you to think that you are paying for some sort of level that is greater than what it actually is. What do I mean by that? Have you ever looked at a football stadium or a baseball stadium where the suites are? Suites are sometimes high up. At Orchard Park, they showed you how close to the upper deck the club level seats were. Or on an airplane when you're first class and you're it's the same seat, maybe a little bigger, it reclines, maybe it goes into full recline, but you're still on the same tube going the same distance to the same destination, getting there at the same time. I get it in hotels where you pay more for more space, an extra toilet, an extra sink. But when you're at a stadium, Aren't there minimum levels that you deserve? I had this fight with myself all the time because I would ask the stadium cleaning company, make sure your best people are in our premium areas. Because if people come and they sit in the upper deck, well, we close the upper deck all the time, but if they're sitting down the line and they've got a bunch of grime and maybe a bag of peanuts on the floor, aren't they thinking to themselves, yeah, that makes sense. I'm sitting here in the bad seats, in the cheap seats, must be in the front row. But if you come to a game and you're sitting behind the dugout and you sit down and there's gum on your seat, aren't you gonna say, God, what a crappy team president that is. So Buffalo got itself together. They got the stadium ready. All of the hype was ridiculous. All the pictures of the stadium with the blowing snow and how could we play? This is great football weather from your couch. When the game started, I'm looking, the field was perfect. The fans were all there. Everyone was happy. I mean, they were freezing, but it's Buffalo. What do you expect? And the Bills Steelers 
was a game that another one of those games with a closer final score than what the game actually was. I guess there were some moments where the Bills were nervous, but I would say it was pretty much Bills from the beginning when they were up 21-0. After the game, Mike Tomlin takes the podium and he's asked a question about next year or his future, about being the coach, and he just walks off like a total grumpy guy. When do you say it's enough? When, when you're coaching a team, do you ever say to an owner, I'm done? I've never had a manager say that to me. I've never had a manager. Wait, Coke, I got one for you. I didn't tell you this during the prep. We did have a manager do that to us. Edwin Rodriguez, if you're a Marlins fan, that's a deep cut. That's like side B of side B. Side B of side B is side A. So it's side B of side D. Edwin Rodriguez was our manager and he just walked in one day and said, I'm not managing today. I quit. And we were like, all right, see you later. We'll figure it out. As a matter of fact, Coca, is it possible that that was Brandon Hyde who managed the game after Edwin Rodriguez quit? The guy who now is that great manager for the Orioles? There's a decent chance that I got that right, but equally possible that I'm completely incorrect. So I'm watching the Bills Steelers, and I know I've got a second game, and this is it for Wild Card Weekend. It's game six of six. I've got the Emmys on one screen. I've got the Eagles Bucks on one screen. Which do you think I chose the bigger screen? I watched the Emmys on TV, and I watched Eagles Bucks on my iPad, and I had sound from the Emmys, although I do love Buck and Aikman. And I'm watching the game and the Emmys. And I'm looking and I'm saying, are the Eagles and the Cowboys the same? The disappointment as a consequentialist, the answer is yes, they both lost in the wildcard round. But the way the Eagles lost, they looked as though they were completely disinterested in being in Tampa. They looked overmatched. They looked like they were quitting. They looked like they didn't care. The Dallas Cowboys simply got their butts kicked. When you're evaluating your coach and everybody is evaluating Nick Sirianni this morning, just like everybody evaluated Mike McCarthy yesterday morning, there's a big difference. One of the things that I was not successful in doing was convincing our owner over the years that when we would get shut out on two hits, it's not that we were needing a new manager. It's not that we had players who stunk. Sometimes you just get beaten that particular day. Sometimes the pitcher is just too good. Watching the Cowboys game, if I'm evaluating Mike McCarthy and I'm Jerry Jones, I've got to be able to say, on this day, the Packers were just better. Then I look at the body of work for McCarthy, three 12-win seasons, but no playoff success. If I want to make a decision on Mike McCarthy, I've got to make it based on the body of work. If you're Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, 
you look at that game and you say, I got to make a decision based on a game where we did not just get beaten by a better team. We had a team that wasn't playing for its coach. Do I make a decision based on a game? Or do I look at the body of work for Suriani and say, hey, 11 and a half months ago, we were in the Super Bowl. Don't forget the Eagles were the team that lost to the Chiefs last year. The reigning NFC champions, not interested in a wild card game. So will Mike McCarthy or Nick Sirianni become football's version of David Ross? Will Bill Belichick become football's version of Craig Council? Players were pretty clear last night after the Eagles game. They were not throwing their coach under the bus. Jalen Hurts was asked about whether or not he thought Nick Sirianni should be the coach. And he said, I didn't know he was going anywhere. They said, well, you didn't realize that they're calling for his head? And he said, I didn't even know that. But here's the thing. From a player standpoint, this is going to go right to the edge of what Coca doesn't like me talking about. And I'm sorry. But I just want to inform you that if you surveyed 100 people and they were all players on a team and you were going Steve Harvey style, top five answers on the board. What do you care about the most regarding your team? B, the location of the city. Survey says number three. All right, can you beat that? What do you care most? My contract, boom, number one. All right, do you want to play or pass? They go, next question, what do you care most about? And someone says, oh, the player cares most about the head coach. Steve Harvey calls out head coach, and you know what you get? Eh. It's not even on the board, folks. No matter what the players say, no matter how much they hug their coach at the end, no matter how many times they talk about what an honor it is to play with Popovich or Bill Belichick or any of them, no matter what they say in their Instagram posts or during their Hall of Fame speeches, if you ask Tom Brady what he would think if Bill Belichick had been fired halfway through his Super Bowl right, run and he won a Super Bowl with two head coaches instead of one, it'd be a totally different thing. There'd be two men who, or women who'd be thanked by Tom Brady. Asking Jalen Hurts about Nick Sirianni is useless. Jeffrey Lurie has to decide about Nick Sirianni, as Jerry Jones does about Mike McCarthy. Meanwhile, what's interesting about what's happening, of course, is that why are you mentioning in my ear Mark Jackson, Coca? What, what's the relevance of that? My guy, Mark Jackson, the because the Warriors fired him because the players hated him? Well, okay. Sometimes that happens. I don't think the players hate or don't hate Sirianni. Maybe they do. I think there was a lot more to it than just the players not liking Mark Jackson, though. All right. I don't think the audience can hear you, though. When, we got to get you where you just come on and say, what about Mark Jackson? No, I'm making a totally different point. The point that I'm making is that 
while Sirianni made the Super Bowl last season. What Jeffrey Lurie is looking at is, did something change from last season to this season? Because he cannot dismiss what happened against the Buccaneers the way Jerry Jones has the ability to dismiss what happened to the Cowboys. Two totally different types of losses that require totally different levels of analysis. So the question is going to be, what happens? So of course, word comes out yesterday that Bill Belichick interviewed with the Falcons. On a side note, why do the teams announce who they're interviewing? The Atlanta Falcons did a press release. We'd like to say that we just completed a day of interviews with Bill Belichick. Doesn't that just cry out? It cries out for, look at me, Louie. We're serious. We're taking this coaching search very seriously. We've got the Hall of Famer available. Of course, we're going to interview him. And of course, the tweet comes out from the NFL insiders. For $20 million a year, they tell you there's mutual interest. What do you think? Bill Belichick takes his time, goes to Atlanta, sits with Arthur Blank, then calls up his source and says, hey, no thank you. It's horse hockey. Of course you tell your source there's interest. You need every team to think. It's like when you're doing trades. You have to make believe that there's many teams interested, even if there aren't. Bill Belichick has to pretend that everybody wants to hire him. That will get people to step up and it'll make him able to choose any team he wants. If I'm Bill Belichick, there is no chance that I'm going to the Atlanta Falcons without them trading with the Bears and getting the number one pick. I'm just not doing it. I mean, I love Atlanta. It's a great place to live. Maybe he wants to live there. But why wouldn't you go to the Chargers with a quarterback? Why wouldn't you figure out which team is going to trade with the Bears and get Caleb Williams and start that? Well, we're going to find all that out. Did you see how many people watched the Cowboys implode? 40 million viewers. I was reminded of my days in baseball where I would see the numbers come out for football games during the playoffs and I would be despondent beyond repair because I'm not rooting for these numbers. I want football ratings to decline. I want Roger Goodell to sweat and panic and worry that people are playing flag football and no more tackle football. 40 million. Here's what Rob Manford will not tell you in any press release when they announce ratings for the World Series. When they spin it in terms of percentage increase or decrease or that it's the number one show of the night or that's five of the top six shows for the period of October, whatever the case may be. What he will not say, because his PR people won't let him say, but I'm happy to say it. The World Series, as you may remember, was between the Texas Rangers and the Philadelphia Phillies. It was not. Who did the Rangers beat? The Arizona Diamondbacks. My Lord. Five games. Total number of viewers. Just shy of 50 million. For five games. The NFL got 40 million for a wild card game. I want that to marinate. 40 million. Fox is breaking records. 
Peacock is breaking records. I love that. They got 23 million people to stream it on Peacock. I don't care about the number of streamers on Peacock. I'm waiting for the press release on subs because that's the money. How many people canceled Peacock? How many people got Peacock for the Chiefs-Dolphins game and then are keeping Peacock? That is far more interesting to me as a team owner because that is the value that we're adding. But you've got to have a good service because we'll get people to sign up. It's like selling a product. Hey, we'll get people to buy crypto, but you got to make sure you're not perpetuating fraud on everybody and then going to jail. So how many people will stay at Peacock? That'll be a good question. All of these networks, it is the battle of releases. After every game, when there's records, Fox will send out something, ESPN, Peacock, Turner, NBC, everybody is sending out releases because they want you to know, hey, everything's amazing. It's straight butterflies and unicorns when it comes to viewership. The way you see things and the way you read things, if you're not paying close attention, you would assume that there are no issues happening in the broadcast world. And then you realize that ESPN is looking for investors because ESPN is owned by Disney. Disney is hurting, bleeding, needing cash, needing to pay down debt. We've talked about it on the sporting class with John Skipper. But what came up since our last episode, and it's very topical at this moment, is what's happening with ESPN and the NFL. Because the rumor is that the NFL may be taking an ownership stake in ESPN. Now you were all prepared for this because MLB, NBA, NFL, they were all in talks with ESPN to take a piece. MLB is in no position to take an ownership stake of ESPN. One, ESPN is not committed to baseball but that's not even one. One, MLB has a local revenue issue that they've got to deal with. MLB has to keep its powder dry. They have to keep its capital available in case they need to subsidize its team's local broadcast revenue. So they are not going to invest right now to buy a piece of ESPN. The NFL does not have that problem. They've got their national revenue deals sewn up, they've got the cash to do it. I am vehemently against this transaction. I didn't love when team owners bought local newspapers, but then newspapers stopped mattering and then I stopped caring as much. Do you think that people on ESPN, let's talk about McAfee. Don't even get me started on his Martin Luther King Jr. rant yesterday. Absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, he really is testing his power to ESPN, isn't he? At some point, the juice is not going to be worth the squeeze. You better make sure you know how to Joaquin Phoenix that line. So do you think Pat McAfee can get on the air and criticize Jerry Jones? Jerry Jones calls up. Jimmy Pitaro and says, um, I'm your boss. And if any of your on-air talent says one more thing about me, there's going to be heads rolling. 
How about during a broadcast of a Cowboys Packers game when the broadcast network doesn't cut to Jerry Jones nearly as much as they cut to Taylor Swift when all the audience wanted to see is what's Jerry Jones going to do now? Because the one time they cut to him and he slammed his paper down and it became a mem and was the most played video clip, Jerry Jones and his handlers get on the phone and say, excuse me, Fox truck. You may not show Jerry Jones again. For the people who don't believe this happens, you're the same people who think Adam Silver had nothing to do with Jeff Van Gundy. If you think that leagues do not get involved in who their broadcasters are, I don't know what you're smoking, but send some to me because I'm in. Maybe it'll help cure my cold, my sore throat, my almost COVID. Do COVID tests expire? I took a test from 2021 and I was negative and I'm going with negative. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. If they do expire, if you could get to me at David P. Sampson or at davidsampsonpodcast.com, because then I think I'm going to have to do a little Instacart or Fresh Direct because I don't feel like even leaving the apartment right now. But of course, I'm not going to miss the show. But if you think that leagues don't get involved with networks now, Wait till the league owns the network. Journalistic integrity, non-existent. Neutral reporting, no thank you. Propaganda machine, fully operational. Don't take me as a cynic, take me as a pragmatic. I was just picturing all these games and what the NFL would do with the ESPN if they owned it, whether or not they'd have direct into the IFB of Scott Van Pelt, how much they'd have to say they're not involved, how many times they'd have to protest, hey, we have the ability, ESPN would have to stand up and say, hey, we can do anything we want. It was a critical part of this investment is that we're allowed to be completely independent. Every single company that gets acquired, they all say the same thing. Hey, it's almost like a merger. It's a merger of equals. We are independent and we're going to keep doing it the way we've been doing it. Of course, the way we've been doing it costs us money. We lose money. The reason why we're selling to begin with is we need capital. But we're going to keep doing it the same. It's like step number two of the PR after a move like this is that you have to say it that way. I wonder what's going to happen. The New York Post has this story that the ESPN and NFL are in advanced talks. What kind of stake do you think the NFL is going to have? I think the NFL is interested in like a 6% stake. Here's what the NFL is going to be for Disney and Bob Iger. A silent limited partner. They're just going to write a check so Disney can be helped and you can refurbish Space Mountain. It's laughable. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to give you my top five observations from the Emmys. And then I'm going to answer a question that you had about something that happened in baseball yesterday. And uh, it's another example of haves and have nots and potential improprieties. We'll be right back. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson and Matthew Coca. Today's January 16th. Please don't forget, we only have three more days. Three more days until the Sports Podcast Award voting ends. We were nominated in two categories. Best Baseball Podcast and Best Sports Business Podcast. Please go to sportspodcastgroup.com. Send the link to all your friends. Vote for us in both categories because being nominated is awesome, but winning is what I want. And it's what Coco wants, although Coco says he doesn't really care, but he does care. It's way better. Like all the people at the Emmys, when you go to the after party and you're holding an Emmy, that's way better than going to the after party and holding your pocketbook or holding a drink. People want to win. All of the people at the award shows, and obviously we're in award season now, they show the nominees and you're told by your publicist, hey, you're on camera. When the name's announced and it's not you, I want you to cheer. I want you to yell, woohoo, and standing ovation. Especially if it's a first time winner or an underrepresented winner, we want you to stand up and cheer as though that's what you wanted. Is anyone falling for that? It's a competition. Emmys. You win an Emmy, you're an Emmy award-winning actor. You win an Oscar forever. Every single movie you do the rest of your career, Academy Award winner. It means dollars in your poche. So the Emmys were hosted by Anthony Henderson. I loved it. They did reunions of all sorts of old shows. All right, let me take one minute on this. What do you do? You like seeing cast like the old Martin cast or Rob Reiner and Sally Struthers from All in the Family or all the people from Cheers or Grey's Anatomy? Seeing Katherine Heigl come out and say, Yeah, we're a great show. We've had some changes. Yeah, like you being kicked off because you thought you were going to be such a movie star diva. Turns out not exactly. I have a problem with it because I've got the Peter Pan syndrome. I don't want to get old. And when I see people who are old, who to me are frozen in time as young, it freaks me out. When I see George Wendt take his spot at the stool at the bar of cheers, and he can barely move, and George Wendt is, he's awesome. I'm just thinking, oh my God, I'm like in the seventh inning stretch. And I feel like I just started, baby. I want to be Adam Sandler at the end of click. Fifth inning? No, no. This game's just starting. All right, top five takeaways from the Emmys. Number one, Succession, Beef, The Bear. If you haven't watched those, you ought to watch them. We reviewed all of them. They were all part of our top 10 of last year. Outstanding. And they were awarded as such. 
Now, Kieran Culkin is best actor in a drama. I can buy that. Jeremy Allen White is best actor in a comedy. I'm not buying it. The Bear is the best comedy. I'm not buying it. MASH is a comedy. Martin, All in the Family, Cheers, Seinfeld, comedies. What exactly about the bear is funny? It's almost like saying that AO is a supporting actress in the bear. Really? Now I get that you can put yourself in different categories, but come on. The bear? Number two, speaking of Peter Pan, the obituaries always hit me hard. They played the Friends theme. They go through the list of people. How many times do you watch a segment or read a list at the end of a year? Notable deaths of 2023. We all look. And then we say, oh my God, I totally forgot that person died. Don't say you've never done it because you have. I did it so many times yesterday and it bothered me. Because these are now not just people who I always considered old. These are people who are old who I considered young. Some of them were even young, like a Matthew Perry. But I'd forgotten for a moment that Harry Belafonte, a man who I was lucky enough to know, and that's it. I'd totally forgotten that Kirstie Alley from Cheers. I forgot that she died. Forget that she was crazy. It's terrible. The obits just hit a bit harder this year than normal. I think that's going to keep going. Number three, Elton John got an EGOT. You may not care what an EGOT is, but I do. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. He's the 19th person ever. That's it to have all four. He finally got his Emmy for the special. If you haven't watched it, his final concert at Dodger Stadium. For those of you lucky enough to be at that final concert, you really saw something. He'll never play in North America again. And I mean, never. Not like, oh, if he gets divorced and needs more money or goes bankrupt and he'll go on tour again. Elton John is done. He will never tour North America again. Number four. Oh, I did four. The Bear's not a comedy. Let's go to number five. If you're going to honor and do reunions of shows, where was MASH? Why wasn't Alan Alda there with Loretta Swit and Jamie Farr and Mike Farrell? Why are people not acknowledging that MASH is a bigger, more successful, more important TV show than any of the shows that were talked about yesterday? Am I biased? Of course. Anyway, congrats to all the winners. I love award shows. I can't get Coca to watch them, though. All right, Coca, play the music. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get on my Twitter at David P. Samson or davidsampsonpodcast.com. That's where you can get all the content we do, plus all of the merch. davidsampsonpodcast.com. Get on there. Check it out. David, did you see all the international signings today in Major League Baseball? Why would a team spend millions of dollars on such a young player? I love that you asked that. Let's explain what happened yesterday. There's something called the international signing period. What you would think was a deadline of yesterday wasn't. Yesterday was actually the first day that you can sign international players with your international slot money. 
every team gets between, let's say, five and $6 million. You can spend that on one player or 100 players. You can trade with teams and get more international slot money. So yesterday, when the period opens, all these players sign. How's that possible? It's the same way in NBA free agency when deals are announced when free agency starts. It's because as a baseball team, you are meeting with 12-year-olds and their handlers. All of the nefarious stuff that goes on in Venezuela and the Dominican, none of which has been cleaned up. Sorry, Albert, none of it's been cleaned up. We give people 500 bucks a month to go down there and find kids and promise them the world. There is nothing legally binding except we tell the kids, you're going to get this money. Trust me, it's a done deal. You're going to sign with us. If anyone else comes to talk to you, you say not interested. If anyone wants to give you a workout or read where the wild things are to you, because that's about how old you are, tell them not interested. San Diego Padres for the second year in a row signed the top international prospect. They gave a 17-year-old $4.2 million. What do you think of that? I hated it. Now, we got the benefit of quite a few good international signs. We had great international scouts, a great director of international scouting, several of them. Well, mostly great. Although it's hard to say they weren't all great. They just all behaved. It's hard being an international scouting director. You are, it's not like it is here. It's the wild west. Business is not done in the Dominican or Venezuela the way business is done here, period. It's just not. There's need for cash. There's need for relationships. There's need for payola. There's need for promises. Basically, if you are a person who likes engaging in nefarious activities, you like doing business down in Dominican or Venezuela. And the reason why teams continue to do it is because free agency of young people like the draft, and that's why we always wanted the international draft, but the amateur draft in the US and international signings are still the cheapest way to get players. And it sounds counterintuitive where a team can spend 4 million on a player and that player may not work out. And it's the same as drafting a guy in the first round where there's still a 50, 50 chance you're giving him $5 million. There's only a 50, 50 chance. He's going to be a productive major leaguer, but it's actually better to spend $4 million in the Dominican or Venezuela than it is $4 million for the junior at Stanford. Why? Because when you give $4.2 million to the top international signee, the Busconi is giving you a bunch of other people too. These players come in packages. Of course, that's not what you're told. And of course, teams don't admit that. I don't think there was a time that we signed one player on a one-off basis where we just went down and said, oh, we'll just take him. Busconi said, Busconi said wait a minute, what about XYZ? his mother, cousin, and brother. Nah, not interested. All right, we're going to another team. Rob, we need an international draft. I know we can't get the votes though because we got too many teams willing to do too much, pay too many people. People have lost jobs at MLB when they get caught, but baseball is not highly incentivized to catch people. 
because it still is the most efficient way to get talent. And MLB knows that. And if there has to be some negative things that happen, some negative actions, that's the price that the industry is willing to pay. But of course, there's going to be a press release. The Mets did one recently. There was a tweet. The Mets are absolutely doing amazing things with the education of the people in Dominican. They all got high school diplomas and training on the job training. I've been down there. Give me a break. Nothing personal pick of the day. We had a one in one day. We got the over of the Bill Steelers game, but we lost that money line parlay. I should have known taking the Eagles. What an idiot am I? We are nine and six. We're still up units. I'm positive. Today, we're going with the Sacramento Kings getting four and a half against the Suns. I think that the market is not reflecting the fact that the Kings are a better team than the Suns. Now, of course, we could get totally screwed with who's playing, but we're taking the Kings plus four and a half. Taking a little break from football, only because there's no games, but we had a very good wild card weekend. As long as you all did what I did, it was good. All right, let's talk about the draft. We talked about international players talked about it's the best way actually to get talent nfl draft is the same you have to get it right you simply have to cbs does mock drafts the minute the draft ends they're on to the next draft each team employs scores of people figuring out who to draft it separates good teams from bad teams great teams from good teams we all waited with bated breath as Caleb Williams announced yesterday that indeed he was going to pass up the great riches of NIL and enter the NFL draft. Such a joke. Oh, the NIL is going to keep him at USC. Really? Do you think that Caleb Williams looked at the math and said, top five picks get about 31 million bucks guaranteed. Hey, coach, what was my NIL tab last year? Yeah, I didn't think so. Of course, Caleb Williams entered the draft. And now the Chicago Bears have a real decision to make. What are they going to do? They've got Justin Fields. Do you draft Tony Miandich? Or do you draft Caleb Williams and trade Justin Fields? Or do you trade the number one pick and keep Justin Fields? If you are a Chicago Bears fan, whether or not you're in Arlington, or downtown Chicago, or any other suburb, believe it or not, this decision right now is a bigger decision. That sounds crazy because the Arlington deal is a huge real estate development deal. Financially, not as big a decision. But for the success of your team, you know, in baseball, we need a new stadium. We want to get better players, higher payroll. In football, they don't hide it. We want a new stadium because we want more money for other things. Salary cap league. If you're the Bears and you've got the number one pick and Caleb Williams is now in the draft and he made it clear he's in the draft, guess what you're doing? You're on the phone right now, literally today. You're not just calling the New England Patriots or the Washington Commanders. You're calling the New York Giants at number six and saying, hey, what do you think of Daniel Jones? I think Caleb Williams would look really good in blue. Hey, Arthur Blank, you think Bill Belichick would like to have Caleb Williams as a quarterback? Hey, there's a spill in aisle five, Mr. Penner. 
You benching Russell Wilson? I bet you'd like Caleb Williams. What about you, Mike Tomlin? You going to stick with Mason? Maybe. If you're the Bears, you've got to do the diligence about trading the number one pick because you've already got your quarterback. And the Chicago Bears fans can be up in arms saying that we don't want to stick with him. Maybe Dolphin fans are saying, hey, get rid of Tua, trade out Tua for Caleb. I told you, I don't think Tua is an extension candidate. But what I do think is that when you hold something like the number one pick, and you also have the number nine pick in the draft, and you've got a quarterback, this is the moment that you capitalize on that embarrassment of riches. You are calling these teams, and I'm starting with the commanders. And I'm telling Josh Harris that you invested $6.5 billion. Your team stinks. You're going to go in with Sam Howell with your new coach next year? That's your plan? New GM? If you're starting, get in a new ballpark. Caleb Williams is a franchise quarterback. Now, whether he will be or will not be is not relevant. You know what you have in fields. You've got to call the commanders and get quite the haul. So I think that's exactly what's going to happen. The Chicago Bears are going to hire an offensive coordinator. They're going to hire a defensive coordinator. Remember, they fired everyone but the coach. But none of that will be as relevant as what the GM is doing, what the team president's doing. Because up until the draft, you are not making a trade because someone is going to give you more and you don't care. It's not about staying, getting him out of the NFC, getting him out of the division. You are focused on a Russell Wilson type trade. I'm talking about putting the un in unbalanced. I'm talking the Deshaun Watson trade, that joke of a trade that the Texans crushed Haslam and the Browns. Oh, we got to have them. We spoke to our daughter. We're good. We want him. Once in a lifetime quarterback. Owners never learn. There is no once in a lifetime, once in a generation. The shiny new toy always gets scuffs on it. There was a time when Patrick Mahomes signed that that was it. He was going to be your guy forever and ever and ever. No one will be as good as Patrick Mahomes. Is he still the number one quarterback in the NFL? Is he? He's definitely top five, but number one, are we sure? Would you take Patrick Mahomes over every single other quarterback in football right now? Get assets. When you've got something that many people want, maximize its value. Wait to see when I tell you something's going to happen. When it does, great. When it doesn't, we'll revisit it. This is a big one. The Chicago Bears are going to be trading the number one pick. Wait to see. Why? It's just business. Good luck, Caleb. You're still here, Justin. This is nothing personal. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.